Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around your period? Are you wondering if it's possible to be feminist and anti-birth control? We're going to explore these questions and so much more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast, because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in this journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, feminism, and fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. Emily, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me back. I mean, hey, like I'm, I'm here to talk about sex anytime. I love it. All right. So I'm going to do a quick introduction for you, but we'll have more of your blog, Instagram coaching sessions linked in the show notes. So Emily Frazee is with me and she is a South Louisiana native living in Northern Virginia with her husband and two toddlers. After receiving her bachelor's degree in architecture, she went on to work in the nonprofit world in DC for five years. She founded the blog TotalWine.com in 2018, where she shares her deep passion for living all aspects of the Catholic faith in a joyful and honest way, especially marriage, motherhood, NFP, and fertility awareness. She is the co-founder and president of the nonprofit organization Fanbase, a new fertility awareness database coming soon, very soon, which I'm really excited about. She has been featured in Femme Catholic, Theology of Home, Vigil Magazine, Letters to Women Podcast, and the St. Philip Institute. Emily, okay, so you and I both had a podcast episode on here talking about sex, but we really focused in on married couples. So we had a lot of individuals ask us, hey, can you do an episode specific to engaged couples and have talk about this? And we have a ton of questions that came in that we're super excited about. We're excited about the fact that so many of them were so specific and so beautiful and just speaking to the hearts and the fears and the, the excitement and the nerves around sex. So let's jump in. Let's do this. Let's do it. Um, Yeah. I loved all of those questions too. And I just, I saw so much of myself in all of those questions back when I was engaged, there was so much fear because there was just so much unknown. And I mean, like in a completely non-patronizing way, like I really just want to go give everybody who asked these questions, like a big hug, like it's going to be okay. (laughs) I know we live in this crazy world where you hear like, you know, so many, so many different things about what your expectations of sex should be. And it's enough to drive you crazy. And, um, so hopefully, hopefully this episode, we kind of tackle, tackle a lot of that. Um, we probably won't ease all the fears because no matter what, there's going to be some unknowns and that's okay. That's part of the, it's part of the process, like getting surprised in a good way anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to just kind of open this with, just kind of a framework through which we're going to approach all of these questions. So kind of, you know, what does the church teach about sex? What does the church teach about chastity? What does chastity actually mean? Like, how do we actually live that? Like, what is, what is that virtue actually calling us to? So we talk, like we hear about it a lot and it's, you know, mostly not good. Um, <clears throat> but let's start, let's start with scripture. Um, one of the things that I found to be really fascinating is if you go back to Genesis before the fall, you see the existence of both sex and sexual desire. Um, I forget exact chapter and verse, but it's in chapter two. And when Adam first sees Eve, like if I was to make the cartoon version of that, like Adam would have bug eyes and you'd be hearing like a Ford honk, like auga. I mean, like that is kind of like my impression of what that scene would look like if it was in cartoon version. Like, Like his whole body was like, 
singing for this woman that he saw and she was totally naked. So sex and sexual desire are good and predated sin. Now in a fallen world, they have rules that can be difficult to maintain because of our fallen nature, right? That sex and sexual desire, there's an order to it that is difficult for us to ascribe to because we have that sinful nature now. Um, I'd also like to look at, you know, just to call your attention to the Song of Solomon, right? You have an entire book in the Bible, a full eight chapters of explicit sexual innuendo. And all of it is used as an allegory for the love that God has for us, right? So if sex and sexual desire was bad, then using that as an allegory for God's love for us would be blasphemous, right? Um, I mean, like, and when I say like sexual innuendos, like these people are having like all night romps in a vineyard, like God bless them. Like I'd be passed out after like one go round, like I'm tired, <laughs> but like they're having a great time props to them. Um, so anyway, so just understanding, setting up this framework before we get into everything, understanding that sex and sexual desire are good. The fact that you are struggling in this stage of life to express an authentic love to this person who you love deeply, who are you, you're about to be united with in marriage. That's okay. The, the, the drive that you have to rip each other's clothes off is actually good. Um, it's just, it, it, it has to have a certain direction at this time that it can't later. So let's look at chastity because chastity is the governing virtue over our sex, our, over sex and sexual desire, even within marriage. Um, and I love the way that the catechism defines chastity. And I'm just going to read this quote verbatim. <clears throat> It says, chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. So chastity is not a rejection of our sexuality. It's embracing our sexuality. It says that our sexuality is a gift and it's part of who we are. Uh, the catechism goes on to say, uh, sexuality in which man's belonging to the bodily and biological world is expressed becomes personal and truly human when it is integrated into the relationship of one person to another in the complete and lifelong mutual gift of a man and a woman. The virtue of chastity, therefore, involves the integrity of the person and the integrality of the gift. So chastity is about embracing the entire person. And when you're engaged and you're not married because sex is confined to marriage, chastity helps you to focus on the whole person, okay? Which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, chastity is constantly calling us back to reorient towards the whole person. I'm not going to separate any part of this person and hyper-focus on it, not the spiritual part, not the mental, emotional, or physical part. I'm going to see this person as a sum of all of those parts. And then if I start, you know, we can, we can even do this type of stuff. You could argue that chastity could come into play. I know a lot of like women can struggle with this whenever, you know, women kind of excel spiritually and their husbands or their fiancés or boyfriends might not be that attuned spiritually. Right. And you kind of hyper fixate on that spiritual aspect. Well, you have to look at everything else that's going on. You have to understand the totality of the person to understand 
um, the expression of their faith before you like, you know, isolate that and judge that as a separate part apart from the whole. Um, so it, it helps us to not isolate those, those feelings that we have about a person, um, apart from the totality. Um, and it's really important to note that the more you fall in love with a person, the greater your sexual desire is going to be. I know when I was engaged, I was, oh my gosh, it was just like the closer we got to that wedding, I was like, do we really need to wait? Uh, can we just like do this now? Like, what do we, like, we know we're getting married. Like, what's the big deal? Um, and that I think is important to know that that is natural and that is good because like on a biological level, you know, you can be assured at least that like your hormones are in, in excellent working order. So congratulations there. Um, but we have to come back to what is that sexual desire driving us towards and, and what it is, is it's calling us to discover the whole person. It's calling us to that deeper unity. And that is absolutely the case within marriage as well. When you can express sex fully, um, that no matter what, that sexual desire, that, that desire that you have to be united in body is really a desire to be united totally. Um, that's what we're seeking in sex, that knowledge and discovery of the whole person that we love. And so pleasure then, and even the desire for pleasure serves a purpose. It's orienting us towards that unity. Um, you know, and, and I think it's important to note here that, you know, just to kind of kick back on what I was saying, like, why can't we just have sex now? <clears throat> sex is confined to marriage because it is such a powerful and total connection right? That the church is like, okay, in order to make sure that this goes over well in a fallen world, um, or not just in a fallen world, but in order to make sure that you have the best possible sex, it has to exist within a specific framework in order to be honest. You know, that old saying that we used to have, uh, you know, make an honest woman out of her, right? Like whenever a couple would be living together, it's like, ah, oh, you know, that's crazy. And we make an honest woman out of her, right? Like, there's a certain sense of truth to that. Like if you are giving each other sex, like giving each other sex outside of that marital commitment is a lie because it's total self-gift without total self-commitment. You know, you're, you're making a liar out of each other. Uh, and I'd also like to note, you know, like don't underestimate the power of sexual desire. Um, don't be afraid of it, but don't underestimate it. I know whenever, before I was dating my husband, I was, I, I really did look down on people who struggle with sexual sin because I just didn't get it. I was like, why do you people struggle with this? Like, just don't have sex. Like, just don't put yourself in these situations. And then I started dating my husband and I was like, whoa, I get it now. I get it now. Like, I love this man so deeply. I cannot wait to be married. I am like keeping in my, in my pants. It's not exactly an easy thing for me right now. Um, so I, I think that, the, you know, when that is kind of where you are, don't, don't respond with a feeling of shame. And, and I don't say that of, you know, lightly um, because shame, you know, when you feel that if shame turns you inward, it's self-defeating. When you have those strong sexual desires and maybe you do stumble a little bit in, in your thoughts and in your actions, 
run to the confessional, run, do not hold yourself back. Don't let that shame stall you. If your shame keeps you out of the confessional, that's pride because what that is, and I experienced this so many times, what that is, is you're saying to yourself, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. Of course you did that. You're a sinner. We all do that. Like, don't be surprised. You're a sinner. You sin. That's why we have confession. Like, just go look at the crucifix. You know, God was like, look, you schmucks, y'all are going to need so much help that y'all are, y'all are in such bad shape that you need my perfect son to come to earth and spill every last drop of his blood in the most gruesome way if you schmucks are ever going to have a shot. Okay. So that's already done. And that is the, you know, that's the level of our sin. So that's already, that's already been paid. That's already been done. Take advantage. God's not surprised by your sin. He's not surprised. So when you sin, your response should be, yep, I sinned. Okay. I need help. I need to go get rid of this. I need to get back on that right track. I need that infusion of grace. Run to the confessional. Satan knows just how powerful sex and marriage is. So naturally he wants to destroy it for you. The only appropriate response is to tell him to bugger off. Um, by going to confession, because that shame that you feel that turns you in on yourself, that's his double coupon. Because first he gets you to sin and then he gets you to hold it, hold on to it and not release it. And that's how he really increases his hold over you. So if you run to the confessional, he loses that power. Um, yeah. Okay. That's this is it. so great. This is great. I, I'm just like, all right, well, and that's a wrap. Here we go, folks. This is such a good foundation. And just, I think, especially that last part and just reemphasizing it over and over again, because I think the moments where I was really struggling in engagement, I thought I can't go to confession again for this. I'm, I can't go again for this, you know, it just, and it was that thinking that like, oh, that can't be pride. That's just me being awful. You know, it's like pride comes in all kinds of strains. So like, be aware of yourself and recognize that like, no, this is here for a reason. This is to help you get back on the horse and and keep trying, like get, get right on the path again and keep going because it's going to happen. Like you said, like we're, we're all sinners. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't new to God. This isn't new to him at all. He's not shocked. Like he just wants you. He wants you to come back. Right. Exactly. And I think too, just what you're saying about the foundation and, and orienting us again towards what chastity actually is, what the catechism of the Catholic church says about chastity and how the church views chastity is so important because I would say hands down, that's not how I ever thought about chastity until I started learning about the church's teachings and looking at the catechism myself. It was like, wait, what? Oh, mm-hmm. I thought it was just this untouchable thing. And I was just never going to be able to get like, I was never going to be able to understand it and figure it out how it works and get my hands on it and, and have it in my life. Because I was like, I, I can't figure it out. This is, this is like the untouchable. Right. I mean, and, and that, I mean, to be fair, that is kind of how it's pitched, right? That we really do kind of have this overemphasis on <clears throat> chastity being essentially abstinence, but not like necessarily in a sexual sense, but just of all sexual like of all physical affection right like just just don't even go down that road because you can't handle it and I'm like like I'm starting to get like you know a twitch because of like ah, <laughs> anyway um 
you know, like, no, there's, there's beautiful, healthy, physical expressions of love that you can have when you're engaged, as long as like what you're, it comes down to that intention, you know, are you like putting your hand on your fiance's knee because like, you know, that that just like thrills them and gets them riled up. Or are you putting your hand on their knee because like you want to just offer them like that comfort, like some comfort and some assurance and just like, I'm here, like put your hand on that knee, like go for it. Like that's beautiful. Um, And I think that, you know, just examining your intentions and being honest about your intentions in those physical expressions that's really where you can discover chastity because <clears throat> that's really where you can, again, go back to embracing the totality of the human person. And there is that you can embrace the totality of the human person when you are not married, right? Because, I mean, uh, priests and nuns take vows of chastity. And we just read the definition that it's, it includes sexuality. Well, how can they embrace chastity if you know, if it's talking about like embracing sexuality, they can't have sex. Well, because sexuality is part of our identity. It's part of who God made us to be. So there has to be, you know, a way that we express our sexuality that, you know, isn't just, you know, like that is beautiful and wonderful and discovering what that is. And, you know, yeah, as you said, like, that's what the church talks about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, I think we just, we have it so disconnected from each other, you know, just in thinking about priests and nuns, it's like, Ooh, what, why would they take that vow? You know, you don't think about it. You, you hear their vows. You're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Poverty, obedience, chastity. Cool. Cool. But now it's like, okay, wait a minute. What does this really mean? What, what, what would this look like? And what you said too, we, how we talk about chastity is like all across the board and never really specific. <laughs> and, right. and sometimes just so, so much, so focused on abstaining or purity. And it's, and it's, totally not that, but I really, I remember thinking like chastity is abstinence. And I really, I didn't realize they were different. I, yeah. I was just like, Oh, Oh wait, what? Well, how am I, what, what I'm supposed to be like, what, what was chastity and marriage? What are you talking about? And, and I think, um, we're starting to get into some of the topics here that we want to cover more specifically. So let's, let's do that. So Seven. how to, how to talk about sex during engagement. Like, how do you actually do that? And, and we had quite a few questions looking at, you know, like how, how do you talk about this while maintaining chastity in the relationship, but also wanting to like be honest with each other and have thoughtful conversations with each other about expectations and what you think sex is going to be like in marriage and the wedding night or honeymoon or, you know, orgasms, pain, all that stuff. Right. So I think first of all, um, Yes, it is very important to talk about kind of your expectations, your worries, your fears, your concerns about sex during the engagement. A um, couple of pro tips um, <laughs> about like when and where to have those conversations. Do not have those conversations alone later in the evening and especially not with alcohol. <laughs> because <laughs> true. There's nothing like... Cause here's, okay. So here's what happened to me. Like my husband and I, when we were engaged, like I was very nervous about having sex. And so I started talking to him about it and it was beautiful because what he did, he was like, well, honey, don't like, don't worry about it. Like we're going to go slow. And like, and it was just so reassuring. And he just allayed all of my fears, which only made me want to jump his bones. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this backfired. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
it's like, true. I mean, really, truly like that, that was something that for David and I, we were like, Oh, we're talking about this late at night. And now we're super into each other and horny. And this is, Oh, yep. well now we're making out and okay, well, mm, all right, this is awesome because I'm super into you and I'm so excited to be married to you. But then at the same time, it was like, okay, we're not helping each other right now. We're not helping the conversation. Like this should probably be happening in like a coffee shop or a park or like somewhere public where there's privacy, but not so much privacy Exactly. that yeah. you almost have sex or something I, like that. You know, you could even, I mean, you could even do it on the couch, but like, just do it during the daytime and like maybe schedule having some friends over for dinner that night. Right. So it's like, yeah, be strategic, <laughs> honestly, be strategic when you talk about it, because it's right. so good that you're attracted to your fiance. And it's so good that you want to be together. This isn't a bad thing. And it's not like bad that you desire each other. That's very good and normal. It'd be alarming if you're talking about sex and you're just like, I'm not into you and this is stressing me out and I want to vomit. I mean, obviously there could be fear around sex. So I'm not saying that, but like in general, it's you, it's, you're going to increase attraction. I mean, it shouldn't be something that you're totally repulsed by this person to begin with. Like that's other issues. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, having these conversations closer to the wedding, like you don't need to, like, if you're engaged and your wedding isn't for like another year, don't start these conversations now. Um, (laughs) Like wait a few months. Well, and you don't have to. I mean, I think that's the thing that that we were noticing in a lot of the questions was just like, I really just want to be prepared. I just feel so underprepared. Like, is there a way to prepare? And it's like, you know, there's only so much that you can do. And like you, you've said before, there's no way to practice being married. And, and we were talking about that. And I was like, Emily, I love that. We have to make sure to say that on the show because yeah. it's so true. Yeah. A lot of the questions that we got were, and this is just kind of a, a broad thing that I can just kind of, you know, just kind of do a general sweep of a lot of the questions were, you know, can we practice intimacy? Like, can we like, you know, and, and I, what I read in so many of these questions was just this, we need to figure out how to be married before we get married. And it's like, no, that's literally impossible. And it's literally not the point. Um, if you could figure out how to be married before you get married, what's the point of getting married? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have this emphasis, there's this emphasis on the, in the, from, you know, the culture with like cohabitation that like, you basically need to like try everything out. You need to know how you live together. Like, <gasps> oh, like guys, like we're not preparing for Armageddon. Okay. We're preparing to get married. It's way, it's way less terrifying. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the thing. It gets so built up. And I think around us, it's so built up in the movies, in, in your romance novels, online, with your friends. And we just create this paranoia around, yeah. I have to make sure. And, and in some ways, I get it. You know, when you're looking at divorce rates and you're seeing, you know, if you're, you know, from a family where there's brokenness or you've experienced brokenness yourself, you're thinking, oh my gosh, like I need to make sure this works. I mean, this is where the grace comes in. This is where you have to be willing to invite God in and surrender some of this. And that's can be absolutely terrifying, but there's only so much prep you can do. And then you get to a point to say, okay, like, this is where we're jumping off together. This is where the adventure begins. And you don't have to like, make sure everything works, especially sexually before you're married, because otherwise you're ruining marriage. You can't ruin marriage that way. The whole point is to learn sex together and learn each other's bodies together. And there's huge vulnerability in that. It's like, can be terrifying, especially with purity culture thinking like, okay, we're going from keep your clothes on, keep your clothes on, try so hard to keep your clothes on. And all of a sudden it's like, clothes are off. And you're like, what? Okay. 
Yeah. And there's a couple things within that. Like, you know, we talked about like the culture and cohabitation. Cohabitation is actually one of the biggest indicators of divorce. Like right. couples cohabit, like the, 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 the statistics for couples who cohabit, their divorce rates are astronomical. I forget exactly what they are, but I mean, it's insane. It's over 50%. We can link um, it too in the show notes for specific research on this. Cause I know when people initially hear this, they're like, no way, because obviously you're testing it out to see if it works. It's like, no. it backfires. It legitimately backfires. But this is like, we're very much guilty of this within the Catholic church as well, that we build up, you know, marriage prep. And then as soon as you get married, it's like, all right, we're drop kicking you guys out the nest. Have fun kids. You know? And it's like, no, you, you can only prepare so much for marriage, right? You can read every book ever written. You can have a thorough knowledge of the mechanics of sex, but then when you get married, okay, now you're talking about an actual person. And now you're talking about two individuals who get married who have never been married before. Marriage is ancient. Each individual marriage is entirely new. And so the work of figuring out how to be married is not going to happen until you're married. And incidentally, the reason why we made marriage a sacrament is so that we have access to grace. You cannot have access to those sacramental graces until you have the sacrament. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is something that we're, we're very, we get, we get from both secular culture and our Catholic culture, this emphasis on the preparation for marriage. And we come into marriage with so many expectations and so many anxieties and so many fears because we're like, we have to have this figured out now. And it's like, okay, guys, no, you literally can't. And it's okay that you can't, you're not supposed to. And everybody who's telling you that you should is, I'm sure they have very good intentions, but they're, they're just freaking you out for no reason. Um, Like I, I wrote a blog post about honeymoon or like to my engaged self, like last year for my anniversary, I was like, oh, this would be kind of fun. And literally like, if you, you want like the too long, didn't read version, it's just, the whole thing is just calm the heck down calm the heck down, girl. Like you, you love like figuring everything out, but the whole point of marriage is to figure out marriage together, right? At the right pace for both of you. And, and you can't, there is no way to do it until you get married. Um, but I want to go back. I, I just like, um, uh, go back to the, um, like, what do you talk about sex during engagement? One of the things that I think is really important to point out Um, that you don't necessarily even have to bring up in conversation, but just like observe what do you, how do your parents treat each other? Uh, what are, what are your expectations of marriage based on your parents' marriage, right? Were your parents affectionate with each other? No. Did you talk about sex growing up? Um, if not, does that make you feel like sex is a taboo topic? Um, or if they did talk about like, what, what are your expectations of marriage and, and physical affection based on what you saw from your parents, right? That is a really important conversation to have. The other thing that you need to do is understand each other's love languages, understand each other, learn each other's temperaments. Let me tell you something, the 99, actually, no, I'm sorry, 100% of the conversation, of the fights that my husband and I have had about sex you can just like narrow it down to an issue with communication. It wasn't that there was any issue with the logistics of sex. It was like, there was an issue with the way we were talking about it because I would say something and in my head, it meant X, 
But in my husband's head, it meant why? And so it took us a while to really kind of drill down on what, and and it really came back to temperaments and love languages, right? Like understand, and you can absolutely start to figure all of that out now when you're engaged. Um, That is the type of groundwork that you should be laying because I'm telling you the logistics of sex. Yes, that can be difficult to parcel out, but in order to get good at the logistics of sex, you have to talk about it. So if you just invest a crazy amount of time at this point when you're engaged in understanding, like I said, love languages, temperaments, what was your parents' marriage like? How do we communicate? Are, you know, are we already establishing like either positive or negative patterns of communication? If so, like, you know, how do we play up the positive patterns? How do we address the negative patterns? Where does this stuff come from? Are those negative and positive patterns also taken from our parents and like expectations? Like if you can absolutely start drilling down on that stuff right now, and I guarantee you that if you start doing that now, all of the issues, not all of the issues, but like most of the issues that you have with sex in your marriage, you will have laid fantastic groundwork to deal with them. I can't reiterate that enough because I think that was something that from, from my experience, I think David and I needed to do more of that work because we were so obsessed with marriage prep and reading all the books and all the things. And then when it came to sex, we wanted to just talk about practicals thinking that's the thing that we have to do, which wasn't all bad, but I think we were really lacking more of the foundation around like, what are the, you know, exactly what you said, looking at our parents, like what were those expectations that were created around conversations around sex and how those, their love and their responses to each other and their affection impacted my expectations for what Mm -hmm. I thought it should look like. And I think those are the pieces that can help when you start talking about those things. Those are the things that help like relax you (laughs) and help bring, bring down like those fears or completely dismantle them because you're really getting at some of the core aspects that really help you to be intimate and vulnerable. And I, I know for us, like having sex the first time was not comfortable. It was not a great time. It was really not. And it was a bummer because I was like, oh my gosh, I probably shouldn't be married. Like I did something wrong. And like, I totally like went off the deep end and it was legitimately when my husband and I had a deep talk and we, we shared around our fears and just things that we had and expectations. And then we had sex and it was, and it was so much better. Like it wasn't perfect now because we were new at it, but it was like, oh, we needed that emotional connection with each other and being honest about the bigger picture, the more foundational pieces that we didn't realize were almost having us like withhold from each other because we didn't, we didn't realize it. And so I think, you know, exactly that, like love languages, temperaments, there are books on those, there are quizzes that you can do, you can do it short, you can go along with it, you can do as, as much investment as you want. And we can link those things here in the show notes too. But I think, you know, that's the piece, like looking at some of these questions, um, there was so much around, like, what are things around sex we should talk about? And it's like, well, that's going to be different for each person, depending on how you answer the previous questions. You know, if you are, you know, with, with purity culture, if you're thinking intimacy is bad or sex is bad, or sex is very taboo, start talking about that and unpacking what that might look like, because that might be a space where, you know, you're resolving some, not maybe resolving completely, but you know, resolving some of those fears as a couple, but you also might realize therapy might be really helpful because you're realizing just how damaging it is. And it's causing you to completely panic when you think about sex or that you're realizing like, this is, this is, this is a problem. I, and you need more help and that's okay. 
you know, and it's, and it's also something if you do realize like, oh, I'm getting married in two weeks or I'm newly married and like, oh my gosh, I probably should have done that. You didn't fail. Like these are tools that we have not been given in marriage prep. And I'm going to be really honest about that. Like our marriage prep did not give us the specifics. Like I wish I had had these conversations during my engagement because it would have helped me so much in, in recognizing, okay, I don't have to do all the things to have a perfect engagement. And I also can't, I don't need to do all the things to have a perfect marriage, which, which we were so striving for, but in the process, I think really lost sight of just like the basics that we really needed. Yeah. And I love, I love that you mentioned therapy, especially for purity culture, because purity culture and, you know, even like eroticism, like all of these things, like essentially what's happened is, is you have trained your brain to, to default to a certain pattern of thinking. And I'll just tell you, like, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but like, if women have a negative attitude towards sex, they are not going to enjoy it. Um, and so what happens is, is that if you have these negative thought patterns of sex, that can be very difficult to break and, and next to impossible to break on your own. And so if you seek therapy, a psychologist, a psychiatrist can actually help you establish healthy brain patterns so that you can actually retrain your brain. You literally have to retrain your brain. If you have purity culture ingrained in your mind, you have to retrain your brain and you have to learn the techniques to do that because it's going to be something that you're going to deal with your whole life, especially if it's something that you've had ingrained with you in you for it from a young age. Yeah. And I think it's important that you're mentioning this for for, for aspects around purity culture and negativity around sex, because I think we get so focused on, on therapy and getting help around porn and, you know, really twisted understanding of, of sexuality, you know, whatever that might look like an, an addiction, but we don't talk about it as much as we need to and to highlight with purity culture. So I just want to hop in there and, and emphasize that and reemphasize it like a million times because it's something that we just gloss over because we almost paint that as like, well, that's like the innocent. They don't, they, they're fine. They're beautiful. No. It's wonderful. It's like, no, it's literally screwing you up. <laughs> it's screwing like you up. Literally. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a mindset that is very damaging to, to your sex life and therefore to your marriage. And you are absolutely within your rights and you are absolutely worth seeking help to retrain your brain and to, and to stop that negative thought process about sex. Again, go back to Genesis, sex and sexual desire predated sin song of Solomon, sex and sexual desire is an allegory for God's love for us. If sex is dirty, that would be blasphemous, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if that is where, if that is where your, your mindset is, what you have to do is you have to change your mindset. And that is a Herculean task unless you have help. Right. And I think this is really, we're, we're kind of blending the two categories here, like how to talk about sex during engagement, but then also what does intimacy, physical touch look like in engagement. We're starting to like merge these two because they really, they they start to work together (laughs) because you're really having to lay the framework of like, when am I, when are we actually going to talk about sex or what aspects of sex, what questions do we need to talk about? How do we set the stage for that? So we're not finding ourselves constantly trying to rip each other's clothes off. And we only (laughs) get to a couple of the specifics with that. I know we had some specific questions around that. Um, But I think just to reemphasize, you know, there were a few questions around like, you know, what sex 
things or aspects should you talk about before getting engaged or like, are there like specifics around positions and things like that? And it's like, again, like you really can't, it's going to be dependent on each couple. Right. And, but a lot of this, I, you know, just to go back to those foundational questions and build from there, because that might clarify, do you, do you feel the need to have to talk about, you know, positions and, and pleasing each other? Like really maybe go back and say like, okay, well, why are you worried about pleasing Exactly. Fiance. Like what's going on there that you're nervous that you're not going to like, are there beliefs that you're really terrified of? Are you thinking about movies? Are you thinking about trashy romance novels? Are you thinking about, you know, just that sex is are you, super gross are, and bad? Like what's going on? Have there been expectations about sex set that are either not realistic or just, you know, just total lies? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love, I love that. Get to the root cause of where those fears come from. You know, if you're worried about like, well, what if he wants to try this position? Well, you know, I mean, what, you know, is that position fundamentally wrong? Why, like, what is it, what is it about that position that like has you freaked out? And then, you know, like, I, I think that you can approach those topics in that way of just like, you know, is this something that you'd want to try? Cause I'm kind of freaked out because then you can like, you can start to talk about like where those fears come from. I love that example that Dr. Gregory Popkak put in Holy Sex. He talked about um, this couple, like the husband wanted to try doggy style and the wife totally freaked out because she felt like, like, no, that's not okay. And what it was is, is that she had difficulty relinquishing control um, to her husband and so there was kind of a lack of trust there because of that. And so what they did is they worked on building trust outside the bedroom. Um, and see, this this is why we're kind of talking about how important it is to build, to understand, you know, um, love languages and temperaments and, and each other's parents, because this stuff is going to continue to come up and it's going to continue to feed into sex doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. So what they did was they started working on trust outside the bedroom. And then finally the wife was like, okay, like I'm ready to try this. And they loved it. You know, they ended up loving the position. Like it was, it ended up being like just a really beautiful experience for both of them. And they were like, well, this is coming in the lineup now. So it, you know, like identifying the, again, like who this person is, how do they communicate? How do they think? Like that is absolutely the stuff that you can and should be doing now because that is going to bleed into how, your expression of sex in your marriage. Like we, we, we separate the person and the logistics and we, we kind of, and I did the same thing. Like we just kind of naturally do it. We're like, oh, we have to figure out these logistics of sex because my husband is going to have expectations. And it's like, well, did he tell you he has those expectations or were you told that all men want blowjobs? Were you told that all men are going to want sex every five minutes? Or are you actually talking to your real, live, actual, individual, unique fiance? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like so many of these fears, like so many of those types of questions are based on these unrealistic expectations that are thrust on us, no pun intended, rather than. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Rather than actually, rather than actually talking to the real person that we're going to marry, I can't tell you how many things I have struggled with around sex 
that had nothing to do with my actual husband. As soon as I talked to him, I was like, oh, you don't think this? You don't have this expectation of me? Why the heck was I worried about any of this? You know, like, yeah. That's the same for me too. And it's, it's, you start living in your head. And I mean, truly, this is where like mind management is so important and figuring out like, okay, if you're running away with your thoughts, usually when we think about something, we can imagine it being terrible, horrifying, awful. And then when it actually happens, you know, you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I mean, like it could be literally for anything. And especially when we do that, when it comes to sex, you can be worried about a position or you're freaked out about it. And you're imagining like horrible things or so much pain, all this thing. And it's like, okay, that's probably, that's probably not going to happen. Like let's dial it back down. And again, like you said, like, let's communicate with the person that you are engaged to like communicate with that person and be honest. Like this should be a space where you can be vulnerable and say like, I'm really nervous about X or I, I realize I'm, I'm uncomfortable about this. And this person should, should meet you in love and in respect and in kindness. I mean, if they're pissed off about it, like, okay, let's do a total, uh, self-check here because there might be something way deeper going on where maybe, (laughs) maybe there are expectations that, you know, are really messed up, but for the most part, you know, you're in this together. So lean into each other in this space and actually converse, like figure out the challenges. I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse, but I think it's just, it's so dang important because otherwise we get so fixated on, like you said, like the logistics And I love your example from Dr. Greg's book. Holy sex is such a great book because he literally builds out like, okay, here's your historical, like, where is this coming from? Okay. Here's the theological, like, why does the church care about this? And now here's like practical nuggets thrown throughout as well as positions and what would feel good during a woman's cycle or not. And just different conversations you should have. And, um, it's just helpful, like questions and like Q and a sections. So it may not be a book necessarily you have to have during engagement, but it can be helpful to look at pieces of it individually to say like, okay, am I getting like freaked out reading this? Like, what is this bringing up for me? And and maybe where do I need to figure out like, okay, I'm actually like terrified when I read this. Okay. What's going on? Why are you terrified? And that might be something again, that you can talk to, you know, with your fiance or you're realizing like, whoa, I actually, I think I need someone. I think I need a counselor. I think I need a therapist to talk through this because this is really um, messy for me. And it's so important to take care of ourselves. It's so important to do this work because it just helps. It just helps us like really get to know ourselves and to shed the lies that we have believed. Yeah. Really are just doing a disservice to us. And like you said, to our, to our sex lives, to our marriages, to everyday living, because we're so fixated on things that are just not true. Right. Exactly. Um, you just, you have to bring it back to the person. Um, I know we got a lot of questions about like wedding night and, and honeymoon sex and yeah. Oh Lord. Okay. So I was, I was so scared. I was so scared because I had heard that like sex was painful. And also we were fertile for the first half of our honeymoon because wedding stress, you know, it's, it does that. Um, but it actually, and I know somebody asked the question, like, what, what do you do if you're fertile on the wedding night? And you like, you discerned, like if you need to avoid pregnancy. So, um, I'll just tell like my story to kind of answer a few questions. Like, um, it was, uh, (laughs) I I remember telling my husband before we got married, I was like, babe, I was like, I just gotta be honest with you. And I was like super nervous because it was a really awkward conversation. Right. Like I was like, 
I've never seen a grown man's penis. And I was like, and I'm just really nervous about like what my reaction is going to be to seeing a grown man's penis. <laughs> and he was like, and he was so sweet about it. So we weren't able to have sex until like halfway through our honeymoon. And for the first half of our honeymoon, like I remember it was really, really sweet. Like he was like, let's go take a shower together. And I was like, okay. And he was like, let's just get used to each other naked. He's like, you said you've never seen this before. Like, let's just, let's just go get used to each other naked. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. You know, like it was just, it was beautiful. Like how he just took that fear and was like, all right, let's do something like constructive with this. Let's like start slowly kind of breaking down those walls between like, we can't see a single part of each other too. All right, let's become sex gods, you know, like, uh, right. I love this. Like, and, and I think that, I think that, you know, again, I I understand where this emphasis is coming from, you know, and where this fear is coming from. It's like, there is so much pressure because it's like sex is confined to marriage, but sex is everywhere, right? Sex is everywhere in the culture. So we have to abstain while we're just bombarded with it without even trying to look for it, right? Like, and so... And also you get like this other piece of the puzzle where within Catholic canon law, a marriage is not a marriage until it's consummated, right? Um, now I'm going to get into some details there. First of all, let me explicitly say that no, you do not have to have sex on your wedding night in order to be officially consummated, right? There are all kinds of reasons why you may not have sex on your wedding night. Maybe you're just legitimately exhausted, right? You just got married. It was a huge, long day, just so much fun. Your family, your friends, like you get home and you're just like, or you get back to your hotel room and you're just like, I'm exhausted. And let me tell you something. Exhausted sex is just not good sex, okay? It's a bummer. It's a bummer. So just go to sleep, wake up in the morning, refreshed and try it. Like, that's fine. That's totally fine. That's actually beautiful. And like, but you know, there's like this emphasis because, you know, like you can't have sex until you're married and now we're finally married. And so you're just, and you've been wanting to rip each other's clothes off the entire time you've been engaged. Right. And probably dating too, let's be honest. And now you can. Right. But in reality, you're going from like zero to 60 in four seconds. And I don't know who on here is a Top Gear fan, but that's insane. Like if a car does that, if a car does that, that is, that is absolutely remarkable, right? So you go from like getting married and saying your vows. And then like four hours later, you're like stripping clothes off and like going to town. That's intense. That's, that's like that escalated quickly, right? Um, it's okay if you wait a few days. It's okay if you have to wait a while. Like, that's fine. That's actually, you you are able to kind of graduate in intimacy, especially if you have fears and jitters about having sex. Like, taking that slow, right? There's nothing wrong with taking that slow. And just kind of having like these small intimacies, like taking a bath together, taking a shower together, mm-hmm. just just sleeping together. 
Like you get to say good night and not goodbye, folks. That is the freaking best. Okay. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there's like, so yes, there's so much even just right within that of just like the little things in which you have more physical contact than you ever had. Yep. And it's so meaningful. Like my husband could not really like fall asleep, like touching me. He's like, "Whoa, this is so intense. And I'm yeah. like, I can't fall asleep after all the other way. And now like, he'll, I'll come in and be like, hi, come on. And like, just like, you know, like put his arm around me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. You can cuddle now. But cause like, <laughs> I just assume like he would be totally fine cuddling and he would like make it a point to like, try to like spoon me in bed and be like, oh yeah. And then like, I would pass out and then he would like roll over because yep. he like, was like, I, I'm just like so turned on. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. But it was like beautiful because it was just like, and also totally unexpected. Like we both didn't realize like that would be a thing, but it was so fun to learn that together and also beautiful to see the ways in which it was like, wow, we could even love each other in this way, in such a physical way. And it's not even related to sex. And I like to clarify my statement on saying it's a bummer, tired sex. It's a bummer when you're forcing yourself to do it because you think you have to. Yes. If you're doing it because you're like, you know what? I'm really tired. This isn't going to be crazy. I'm not going to be a sex goddess, but like, this is going to be nice to be close to you and to be so close in this way. Like then it's great. Yeah. You're doing it because like you think you have to out of like a duty. Like it's my duty to do this. It's like, no, what? Like, no, (laughs) stop it. Like, you know, like there, there are moments, I mean, this, this is like the line where this fine line that you walk of like, okay, you know, maybe I'm not totally feeling it, but they would feel really loved doing it. And like, that's that place of discernment, lust and love. Like someone asked about that, like how to walk that line. It's hard because sometimes it's just like, well, I would rather have sex when I'm super turned on. And if I'm not turned on, I don't know. know, No, I'm fine cuddling. And it's like, okay, well, maybe this is a place where I have to figure out like, okay, but could I love this person in this way? Like they're not, you know, I'm not availing myself to being used. They're not like my spouse isn't pressuring me. Right. It shouldn't be, you right. know, but it's like, okay, what, what's going on for me? And that's a constant conversation that, and, you know, and, and space that you're going to be navigating because that's how we, that's the pro the process of rooting out lust to yeah. grow in love. And so like, you are going to struggle with it. It's going to be a real struggle. <laughs> like it's not something that just goes away when you get married. No, but there's also nothing wrong. Like if you're not in the mood, there's nothing right. wrong. Like, Hey babe, I'm not in the mood, but you can change that. Um, and here's how. <laughs> you know? yes. There's because like I've I've felt that periodically, and it's like it's usually just because I'm feeling like emotionally distant. And like if I'm feeling emotionally distant, like frankly, the time to bring that up is not in bed when he's trying to bust a move. It was like two hours ago when we were sitting on the couch, but I'm an idiot. <laughs> I've done that too. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's the worst. And um, it's like, oh, oh, we're talking now. Are we talking? Okay, we're talking now. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you could have, okay, yeah. you were eating ice cream earlier or like just kind yeah. of hanging and reading. You didn't want to, mm, okay. <laughs> But like what I do, what I do is I'm just like, okay, babe, like, can you just like, tell me, like, just give me like some compliments and some affirmations for like five minutes and then let's go. And that's it. And it's like, so if you, you know, it's not like, you know, yeah, I totally agree. Like that, you know, discerning, like, okay, I don't really like want to do this, but it, you know, I've never regretted an orgasm. So like, let's go. Right. And even if you don't, and, but you're like, okay, you know what? That was still really awesome. And it just was relaxing. And there's still like physiological benefits. I mean, it's awesome to like de-stress. 
like you it's it's all in my it's a mindset thing it's like okay how am I thinking about this and like why and also it, it starts to bring up like why am I holding back like what's going on like is it you know there might there might be legitimate reasons or it might be like oh like we you know we're we're trying to conceive or we're trying to avoid but like this is this is go time this is okay like this is fine or you're yeah. pregnant and you're like oh we can have sex anytime this is wild it's, <laughs> you know it's 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 a process, but don't overthink it. You know, it's not about like over discerning it. You have to go to the chapel and pray about it, but like, right. You know, invite God into the space, like ask for the graces. And if you find like, you're just being, you know, a prideful <laughs> butthole, like, all right, <laughs> you got to figure that one out. Cause that's, that's in my struggle. So I was like, well, it's not my idea. And I'm like, Oh, where is this coming from that? It needs to be my idea. And for me, that was a space where that stemmed in a lot of different places, actually, that I've really had to work on. Like, oh, I really didn't like it if it wasn't my idea for movie night or my idea. It was like, oh, this is playing out in sex. Okay. Yeah. Like, I need to work on this. And that was a space, like, we had to really communicate about because it was like, hey, what, what's going on here? That it seems to always have to be your idea. And it was like, that's, I don't really know. I've never, I didn't realize this seeped so deeply into like a relationship with someone else. But that's such a perfect example of how sex doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know, and how, and, and I know like some people are going to be listening like, why aren't they getting into like, I want details. I want specifics. And I get that. I get that so much, but, and and we're not trying to be like, we are going to get into some we do have some more specific questions that we're about to get into, but we're not trying to be cagey. Um, We are specifically not going into super intensive details because sex is a unique language that you develop with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And there is such a beauty and, and just an intimacy beyond description when you make that language together. Right. And Like when you, if anybody here is listening, hated English class, you're like, why the heck did you have to use that description? But it's a perfect description because it's difficult, like diagramming sentences and, and, and subject verb agreement and, you know, adverbs and adjectives and prepositional phrases and like, oh my gosh, is this the object of the preposition? Is this a split infinitive? Like, it's enough to rip your hair out. And it, it's so, it's such a good way to describe sex because yes, there are rules and there, you know, there's the big framework rules that the church gives us. And then there's the rules that you learn because of who your spouse is and because of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we can give you some details, but frankly, you're going to have to learn it at a, at a certain point. You're going to have to learn it on your own. And that's terrifying right now because it's all unknown, but it is a beautiful, it, it, it is extremely rewarding because there is nothing I'm telling you, like the reason why people talk about sex, like it is just the cat's meow is because it is, because it's not just the logistics. It's that learning of the person and uniting totally with a person, the best sex I've ever had had very little to do with the logistics and had everything to do with me feeling totally connected to my husband. Yeah, exactly. I can say the same. It's, it's this level of trust and, and vulnerability where it's just like, I just love you so much. And this is a space where I can be myself 
and I'm accepted totally. And even if I don't accept myself, like I see the way in which you yes. love me, I see the way in which you honor me and you are so focused on me. It can be a little intimidating because it's like, oh my gosh, like I can be self-hating and self-deprecating. And yet you are looking at me in such a way of desire that like, it's, it's mind boggling, honestly. Yes. And yeah. it's beautiful. And it's, it's not something that it's hard to even put into words because like you said, it's this, it's yeah. a language you get to treat yourself, which I love that. I love that idea of just thinking about this is something that is so special to the two of you. Yep. And you really get to work on this and refine it and craft it and make it your own. And what a gift it is to be able to do that. And what an adventure that is to be able to do that. And I think it's, it's a, again, it's that shift of even language of how we talk about sex and how we think about sex and catching yourself. If you're thinking, it's going to be scary. Say it's going to be an awesome adventure. This yeah. is going to be so cool. You know, like, I don't know anything. It's like, it's okay because I get to learn with my spouse. Honestly, like if you need to have scripts and you write them down and you say them every day, do it, yeah. figure out what are those things where you're realizing I'm saying something that's super negative. How do I say it? So it's positive rewire it in your brain and start in that, pro- in that process. Like that's something that I've, I've been doing more recently now that I'm like, man, this could have, <laughs> I could have been using this so much sooner in my life in recognizing <laughs> just the, the negativity that I spoke to myself. That wasn't truth. It's not yeah. truth. You know, God made sex. Sex is good. Yeah. So what I be saying to myself to, to realize that it's not even just saying to even yet my fiance, but to myself, like, what do I, what am I saying out loud? What am I saying in my head and yeah. start working on that? Yeah. And that kind of like feeds into like, we got a few questions about body image and, um, you know, again, I think that go back to like who your fiance is, right. If we base our body image on, um, what we, what we see or like the expectations, like, Oh, men won't like you if you have this, like, and I love what you said, like when you, when you see yourself, through your spouse's eyes, I have gained so much more confidence in my physical appearance because I have seen the way that, like, I look in my husband's eyes when he's looking at me and like, holy mother pearl. I'm like, I am the hottest thing walking this planet right now. You know, yes. like, <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. And it's mind, but like, I think hearing that, I hope for women listening, they're like, oh, that sounds awesome. You know, yeah. yes, there, there are this, you know, aspects that you're battling and, and dealing with in self-consciousness and brokenness that you might feel. And those are real. But I think, like you said, to recognize that the person in front of you loves you so much and sees you not as the way you see yourself. It makes me think of the, the Dove commercial where <laughs> a woman describes herself to an artist yeah. And, and, you know, it's showing this like woman who looks aged and kind of fat and ugly and unattractive. And then they have the a best friend or a friend or family member describe this person. And, and the image is so yeah. drastically different. And this person like looks so light and beautiful and luminous. And these women start like getting emotional and crying. And they don't know what to say because they have never seen themselves so beautiful. Yeah. And I think it just starts to break through at that when you recognize that your spouse sees you as as beautiful and they're not nitpicking at you and they damn well shouldn't be run (laughs) to therapy. If that's the problem, I'm dead ass serious with that one because they should should not be looking at you and nitpicking. And like that blows my mind if they are, because really it's a space of such intimacy and beauty 
And not like beauty, like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, woohoo. Like truly it's beautiful. It's hard to pin it down, but it starts to, it starts to crack at the false reality that you live and see of yourself in the mirror every day. And it's so good. It's hard. It can be almost like a transformation you're feeling yourself go through, but it's beautiful to go through it. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to see that, but I, you know, um, like I have like stretch marks and I have a C-section scar and I actually like asked my husband one day, I was like, does this like gross you out? And he's like, no, I love it because he's like, you have that because you had our children. And I was like, oh my gosh, but like, okay, pro tip here. If your fiance compliments you, ladies, I'm telling you right now, do not argue with him. Do if he tells you that you have beautiful hair today, do not tell him, oh, well, you know, it looked better last. No, you freaking accept that compliment. And let me tell you why. That is an argument you do not want to win. Okay. If you argue with your husband or your fiance about how you look, that is not an argument you want to win. No, when he tells you you look beautiful, you say, yes, I do. And thank you. Like, even if it doesn't feel natural, like women, we do not like accepting compliments. But again, this is another area where you kind of have to retrain your brain. Your husband is supposed to think you're hot. Okay. Your fiance is supposed to have the hots for you. It's kind of the whole point. This is good. (laughs) This is really good. If he thinks that you are looking good and he tells you, you accept that as truth. Don't argue. Own it because you know what? It feels good too. You get that little tingly sensation and you're like, oh my gosh, really? It's like, yeah, it's girl. Not even, it's not even that. He's being kind. Mm-hmm. Like, compliments, compliments are kindnesses. And when you argue with anybody who pays you a compliment or dismiss anybody who pays you a compliment, you are repaying kindness with dismissal. Yes. How rude. How rude. Yes. So sorry for that little tangent, but just ladies- No, it's really good. And it's actually making me think of something that I had heard on a podcast related to this, where someone had said, you know, I, she started really questioning why she was doing her makeup and who she was doing it for, because she realized she had been doing it like, you know, for her job, for all these other people, for expectations, you know, or like she works with men and she works with other women in competition. And she started to really refocus. And she had become, I think at that point, like stay at home mom and was like, okay, so I'm at home all the time. So why, and I, before she had never been someone to wear makeup, like at home, it was kind of like, oh, this is my place to rest, whatever. And it was like, wait, now my, my work is here. Like I'm with kids and I have my husband and, um, she had just made the point that she, she started to think about like, okay, I'm going to do my makeup for, for like my family, for my investors, for my little coworkers here. And just like home is a place of work. And this is where I work. And this is where I show up. And I want to feel my best. I want to feel good. I want my husband to like, like, wow, you look great. And she, she she had said to her husband, he said, wow, you look really nice. And she was like, oh, thanks. You know, I, I did it for you. And at first I was like, ew, that's so like weird housewifey. But I was just trying to like, listen to her and her husband just kind of lit up. He was like, what? And she was like, well, yeah, I just, you know, figured I'd look good for you. And he was like, turn on. Then she was turned on. And I was like, okay, I kind of want to experiment and try this. So I had like done it and it was like vulnerable to be like, well, I, I did it for you. And, and David's eyes kind of bulge out. He's like, really? And he kind of <laughs> leans in. I was like, oh, we're going to get some action today. See you over the lunch hour work from home, buddy. But for real, it was like this beautiful moment where I was like, here, I'm like judging this comment thinking like, this is so old school. But it ended up just being in this space of like, okay, like 
what if we just are vulnerable and showing up for each other again in a different way outside of sex, but it's attributing to sex and just attraction to each other. And I don't know, I don't know if that helps anybody. I don't know if you ever want to try it out, but it was really beautiful for me. It was really like started to just really get my wheels turning. Like why? Yeah. Who do I do this for? Like, this is the person who loves me and sees me so completely. Like, why wouldn't I get gussied up? for him like why wouldn't I want to feel beautiful around the person who thinks I'm stunning that's true and 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 when you do it like that it's an act of love yes right it's an act of love like my I remember my grandmother told me that you know my grandfather told her he was like I don't like like I, I want you to like brush your hair every morning he's like I can't stand when women wake up in the morning and their hair's like all askew and like Women today hear that, oh gosh, that's horrible. But she also, she told him, she was like, I do not like the thought of a man just sleeping in his boxers. Like, I want you to sleep in a like set of pajamas. And do you know their entire marriage, she brushed her hair every morning and he wore pajamas to bed every night. And that was an act of love. That was an act of love. Let me tell you something. They had the most beautiful marriage. You know, like there was so much respect. There was no, like when, when you under, like when you communicate your wants and desires to each other, and then you understand what those are, and then you do them for each other as an act of love, like you having some fun between the sheets, people. Okay. I'm just saying like, (laughs) it's so true. As you say this, it reminds me with and I mean, I think maybe this was an era where like, this was maybe more accepted and not looked upon as just like, you know, the horribleness of. They got married the in World War II. So it was that. Yeah, so my grandparents were a little bit later. And my, my, I remember my mom and aunt, they were like, oh, David's coming home. And my aunt goes, she's like, swipe on some lipstick or something. And I was like, oh, it's fine. And, and my mom goes, I always remember mom always putting on lipstick right before my grandpa would come through the door. He would like yeah. pull up and she'd be like, okay, ladies. And she'd like put on her lipstick and like make sure she was freshened up. And she would always make sure to have like her bright color all ready to go. And I was like, really? And at first I was like, that's silly. But then I was like, so drawn to it because there was something about it. Like you said, it's this act of love where she just wanted to love him and be beautiful around him. Because again, it's like, a, you're, you're getting gussied up and beautiful for the person you're married to that loves you, that just this beautiful intimacy beyond the sheets, yeah. however you do it, just to be able to, yeah. you can do it on the kitchen counter if you yeah, want, no. whatever you want to do. I mean, Hey, <laughs> I'm not judging. I feel like we're getting like on a tangent, but I know that we there are, was like, there's there so there are more here. Let's, let's, you know, let's like go. Okay. So let's go back up to orgasms because that was another space. Well, hang on. Let's, just like pivot. let's go back up to pain first. Cause that's a big oh, one. That's true. Yep. I one. just skipped over that one. Yeah. Yeah. Not intentionally. I'm just looking at notes going, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so pain. let's talk yeah. about, let's talk about expectations about pain. Okay. Full stop. Pain during sex is not normal. Okay. Now there's all sorts of reasons why sex could be painful. Some are very serious. Some are very easily solvable. There's a range. So what can you expect with sex? The, so first of all, you've probably heard like you need a lot of foreplay and you need a lot of lubrication. It's like, and I heard the same thing, but I never knew why. Until like within the last year, I discovered that apparently the vaginal canal widens and lengthens with arousal, okay, with foreplay. Now, your earliest sexual experiences, your body has no idea 
Like this is all completely new. So your vaginal canal widening and lengthening is a new, it's like walking for the first time. You're not going to get it perfectly right on the first try, right? So going very slow, lots and lots of foreplay to allow for that sufficient arousal to have that appropriate physiological response to make penetration comfortable is going to be very important. Um, also lubrication. Um, I know a lot of people are concerned. They're like, well, all lubricants are spermicides. It's like, nope. Um, I use an organic lubricant that I get off of Amazon. It's definitely not a spermicide. It's water-based. There's nothing crazy in there to cause like tingling sensation or whatever the heck. I'm like, why do you even need that anyway? And it gives me out too. Yeah. <laughs> odd. Um, and I know you use coconut oil. So those mm -hmm. are like, those are options. Um, but you will need a lot of lubricant during your first sexual experiences. It's not for anybody who's curious. It's not sinful. It's not wrong. Um, your body will produce arousal fluid, but you may not produce enough arousal fluid for any number of reasons. Maybe your hormones are a little off. Um, maybe you literally just didn't drink enough water that day. Um, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of like, it's a bodily fluid. If you're not producing enough, like something else is going on. It's not because you're not sufficiently aroused or you're defective or whatever, like just put some lube on and you're fine. Um, somebody did ask a specific question about like, uh, she has pain with inserting tampons. So that kind of gets into the more serious aspects of, uh, pain during sex. So, um, to this, you know, the reason why I'm pulling out this question specifically is because I want, you know, you might want to look into vaginismus. Vaginismus is a, it's a psychosomatic condition where the, uh, muscle walls of the vaginal canal actually constrict making penetration impossible or excruciatingly painful. Um, there is help you can, there's a combination, you're probably going to want to look at a combination of, not probably, you're going to want to look at a psych combination of psychotherapies and pelvic floor physical therapies. There's actually, um, for women who have this condition, you can actually, there's a pelvic floor physical therapy where they actually insert an object into the vagina that like just kind of helps to introduce an object in there just slowly to kind of retrain the muscles. No, it is not masturbation. I just want to say that perfectly clearly, um, because the intention is not to get off. The intention is to to retrain the muscles of your vaginal canal to make penetration possible. Okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, women with endometriosis also experience pain during sex. I actually had somebody recently message me that she had, um, an issue with, uh, her ligaments, and she, uh, like, uh, the ligaments, like the attachments down, like her pelvic ligaments. Um, she's actually trying, I think she's pursuing pelvic floor physical therapy and potentially even surgeries. Um, so again, there's like, and then once you get into menopause, like, which you guys aren't worried about now, or maybe, you know, if you're later in life and you're getting married, you're getting closer to menopause, um, menopausal women can experience extreme vaginal dryness. There's actually, um, like a really, uh, I know a friend of mine who went through menopause, she got like a, over, like her doctor prescribed her like a, um, an estrogen cream that she inserted in the vagina, took care of that problem. Nice and easy. 
um, women who've experienced like sexual trauma, sexual assault, um, or like extreme, like purity culture messaging. Um, if you have had those negative experiences or negative views about sex, your body is literally going to shut down, um, to sex and it's going to be painful. Um, so again, physical therapies, psychotherapies, you're going to need to like, look into those types of things, um, to address that issue and don't feel shame about it. Um, don't feel shame about these things. Like it's going to be okay. I, again, I know that this is something that's really difficult because like you've been looking forward to having sex and now you're having like the setback, but your vows are in sickness and in health in good times and in bad, like the, the bad times are going to show up in the sexual sphere and that's okay. That's part of it. It's part of it. Like we've been saying throughout this episode that sex doesn't happen in a vacuum. This is what we're talking about. The stuff of marriage, the difficult stuff of marriage is going to show up in your bedroom. And when it does, you know, it, it's particularly painful because again, sex is affecting every single aspect of who you are. It's the spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional. Um, but don't, don't, don't think that, you know, I, we have so, so many overblown expectations about sex. So I just kind of, you know, I want people to go into this with like realistic expectations. Um, orgasms. Let's talk about orgasms. Somebody asked if there's another word for orgasms. No, <laughs> we call the thing the thing. We don't have code words for fingers. We don't have code words for elbows. We're not going to use code words for vaginas, penises, and orgasms. Okay. Like they are what they are. I and suppose. it's fine. <laughs> you know why? You know why? Because God made all of it. Right. And all of it is good. Okay. It's not dirty. I think that's, you know, that's really what I think the challenge has been in general with the church is like, oh, let's like be sensitive and how we talk about this. Like, okay. Yeah. We're going to be reverent and we're going to be thoughtful in how we talk about these things, but let's like actually use the terminology. So we know what we're all talking about, especially in this context, when we're talking about marriage prep and engagement and marriage and, and just like, if you have struggles or just like the awesomeness of sex, like use the, use the correct terminology because then you're not confused or wondering like, Oh, is that okay or not? Okay. Cause I've never actually heard that word used before. Or like, I think it's dirty because I don't know. It was like, hush, hush. You didn't call a vagina a vagina. You called it a hoo-ha because it was like too blushy to like bring it up. Like just let's be adults. And let's, let's own this again. I mean, for real, if the church has all these beautiful teachings, which yeah. it does. And, and we have these, these beautiful tools. Okay. Well then let's own this and let's own this space and let's, let's help change the culture instead of constantly just being like, that's the culture, which like I get, I mean, there's elements yeah. there, but also like we are the culture. So like, let's but, actually use the right terminology and be respectful about it. We can do both. Also, it, it gets more serious than that. If, I mean, not to like take it this route, but I'm just going to go here for just a second. If you call your vagina your hoo-ha and you teach your children to call their private parts like these little code pet names and they're ever sexually abused, you make it next to impossible for them to identify the abuse. I heard a horror story where like a little girl was taught to call her vagina her cookie. So whenever she told somebody, hey, somebody touched my cookie, nobody batted an eye. So you're mm -hmm. actually, by not 
by not by being uncomfortable with calling these things by their appropriate terminology in many cases that actually enables abuse you yes. know so i mean like just just to put that in perspective yeah, this- it's like big picture it's like big picture beyond just yourself and your your comfort level and beyond your spouse like you know with kids involved and just culturally what are we creating yes yes um, so there's like some really good questions. So like, do couples ask about orgasming? Like can, uh, penetration be pleasurable? Um, do most women orgasm? How many times will it take before I orgasm? So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, again, like orgasm is going to be kind of a learned skill for women. Um, and let me introduce you to the fabulous organ, the clitoris. If anybody is uncomfortable with me saying orgasm, you just short circuited. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Um, the clitoris. So yes, penetration can be comfortable for women. It can be very pleasurable for women. Um, only about 10 to 12% of women will achieve orgasm through penetration alone. Most, the other 88 to 90% of women need clitoral stimulation in order to achieve orgasm. And let's put orgasms within the framework of church teaching. Female sexual pleasure is good. Okay. Female sexual pleasure helps foster the unitive aspect of sex. Within Catholic Church teaching, sex is both unitive and procreative, right? It's always both and. The male orgasm is fundamental to procreation. The female orgasm is fundamental to union. You must have both. Now, that doesn't mean like... There's been several times where I didn't orgasm and it like wasn't for lack of trying. It was just like mentally or emotionally or hormonally, like something was just like, something was just off. And like, even though we tried, it was like, okay, I'm tired of trying and I just want to go to bed. Like, (laughs) it's okay. Like you just shelve it and like, you know, try it a couple nights later. Um, There are cases where women can have difficulty achieving orgasm. Um, Again, part of it is like, maybe you're just not paying enough attention to the clitoris. Maybe you're not like um, spending enough time during foreplay. Maybe you just have a mental block. Maybe you are a little like grossed out or like you're a little concerned or like you have like the purity culture language or, you know, you're feeling disconnected from your husband or you're angry at your husband or like something for women, orgasms are very much mental and emotional as much as physical. Everything can go physically right. But if you don't have that mental and emotional component involved as well, it can be difficult to orgasm. That's something to be addressed outside the bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. To really like, okay, what happened? Like, why, why didn't I orgasm? Like, was something going on mentally? Like, I've had times where I like didn't orgasm and I was like, <laughs> my husband's literally sad. He's gone. You got in your head, didn't you? And I was like, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's something we can laugh about because it's just like, oh, I'm like my own worst enemy. Anyway. Well, um, and just just to add to that, like the beauty of getting to know each other in marriage and just that these can be spaces where we can laugh and talk openly and it's just good. It's so good. Yes, absolutely. Process and figuring that out. And I think that, you know, it is kind of like counterintuitive. Like if your goal is to achieve an orgasm, it's actually really hard to achieve an orgasm. So like just walk in there, like you just don't care, you know, and it's like, well, if I get one great, if I don't, it's cool too. Like, you know, I'm just kidding, but kind of being dead serious about that. Um, There was one question, like uh, somebody's fiance is worried about pleasing me in marriage. 
Oh my gosh. I just, I love that man for you. That's so beautiful. That's so, so beautiful that he is so focused on pleasing you. Let me tell you something, girl, you, the fact that he's worried about pleasing you, you are going to be one happy woman. Okay. It's going to be a great time. Oh, that's what I read. When I saw that question, I was like, this means awesome time. Yes. Like tell that man, be like, look, I had some married ladies tell me that just the fact that you're worried about pleasing me means that you are going to be just amazing and dead. So anyway, that's that. Um, (laughs) I know we had some specific questions too, just like around positions and like what's okay. And um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else to hang with. And just some of the, like the the messiness of it and the practicals of that. So we can tackle some of those too there. And yeah. I think it's great just seeing some of the similarities and questions too, because it's like, okay, this is obviously where people need answers and they're not finding it. And so it's just great well, to be also, able to talk about this. Probably everybody's terrified of Googling it and rightly so. Um, <laughs> I don't it's like- so funny because some people are totally comfortable, but I, I'm someone where I'm like, I don't really want to Google this because I don't know what's going to come up. And I think there's, in some ways there's that fear of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get addicted to porn. Like you go to the, you can go to the extreme of like, I don't want to see something I can't unsee. And that's right. fair. But there's also that, um, okay, like where, where do I go? Where can I go then? Like, what can I look at so that I know I'm not just like, oh my gosh, going to yeah. be like totally overwhelmed or feel gross, frankly, because you see something that's like very disordered online, which is totally possible in the world of Google. Yeah. So first of all, yes, sex is messy. Um, there's a very simple solution. Get some like washcloths or hand towels or something and just put a stack in your nightstand drawer. Boom, done. Um, (laughs) Also, pro tip, get you some Listerine pocket packs also in your nightstand drawer for morning sex. I gave you ready. It's so helpful. Isn't it great? It's just, oh, it just, you gave me that tip. And I was like, I've never even thought about that. And then David and I were like, oh, heck yeah. High five. Let's go. And like, (laughs) he was so happy to go get those Listerine strips at Target. It's been awesome. It's just like little things like that. Like have the lube like stored. Yes. You know, in your drawer. So like, you're almost, you're like ready to go. Like, does that mean you have to have it in it? Like, no, you can do it what you want, but just make it accessible. Yeah. So you're not like, gosh, where is it? Where did I put it? Like, just make it easy for yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, somebody, well, as we're talking about lube, like someone said, you know, like, when do you apply it? Like, as you stop in the middle of everything? Yeah. Much, <laughs> like, and you know what? You'll figure it out. Again, this is one of those things you're going to figure it out as you go. You're going to laugh about it. You're going to like, this is, you know, crazy. Like you might apply it to your husband. Your husband might do it himself. Like there are different ways in which you can go about that, but it's yeah. not, it's, you know, you make uncomfortable what you want to make uncomfortable, but it does, it doesn't have to be like, it's, it's a dance. It's not like the movies where it's just this like quick session, have a great time. And then you just cuddle together. Like, no, another thing you need to do is you need to pee after you have sex as a female. Yes. Otherwise you got to use pee. Yes. And you need to make sure like, get up, go to the bathroom, then you can cuddle. Um, because you don't want to risk that, um, which is something that, uh, nobody really talks about. And we need to make sure to know that from a hygienic standpoint, like, like scientifically, you just need to pee like within the first 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So like you can, you can cuddle for like, you know, catch a breath. Um, Oh yeah. You're not having to like run. Yeah. Sorry if I made it run to the bathroom where you're going to get a UTI, but there's a, there's a window of time. Just go, just go flush out that that area and then you'll be good. Um, another one too, is like, when do you pray before sex? Or if you want to do that, like, or do you pray like during sex? Um, 
you totally can. It doesn't have to be this long, big thing. So for David and I, we had heard about that. We're like, oh, do we need to like do that? Like, when do we do that? This seems so awkward. Like, do it before you have sex. And just like, you can just say like, come Holy Spirit, like just inviting it. If that like helps you just to remember the beauty of sex, you know, and it can be a really beautiful thing. Just be like, oh yeah, this is so awesome. This is uniting, but it doesn't have to be this long drawn out, drawn out thing. You can do whatever you want. And I'm not wanting to shame somebody for wants to pray the rosary beforehand. You can, but don't freak out that like, that's the ultimate Catholic thing you have to do to have great sex. You could actually just take like a really shorthand version of the prayer from the book of Tobit, right? Yes. That's a great um, idea. I love that. Like really short. Cause I mean, that was just beautiful. Like, you know, the, the prayer, I mean, his prayers, I mean, it's old Testament. So it's, it's slightly long. Um, but just like, you know, whittle it down to like a short little phrase. If you want to do that, that'd be a great place to start. Um, it just can help remind you. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the, from like the awesomeness of sex and the foreplay and the lingerie or the candles or whatever it might, you might be doing, you know, if you're doing that, or if you're not doing that, it's just a nice way to kind of, I think, again, remember that grounding of like, okay, who made sex? God made sex. It's good. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, God is like cheering for you, having great sex. Yes. Don't be, don't be weirded out by that. It's cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. What are some of these other questions? Okay. Let's so like positions, like blow job, period, sex, sex positions. Like, um, I guess what I would say with sex positions, Dr. Pop, Popchak or Popcak, I'm trying to remember how to say his name in his book, Holy Sex, he does talk about specific positions. There, there aren't illustrations. Um, that I'm aware of, unless I have a really old copy. Um, but that can be uh, helpful if you want to just like read through a bunch of that, if that's helpful for you to see yeah. like what, what's possible to do yeah. um, to start there. If you're looking for like really specifics beyond just like the man needs to finish and the woman, he needs to ejaculate in your vagina. Yeah. In like, your- you know, and the thing is, yeah, you don't have to get like you don't really have to get creative. Like just the thrill of having sex is going to be enough too, but oh, totally. um, let's just, let's just go through like, what are the illicit sex acts? Cause I know that that's kind of what people are getting, getting to with some of these questions. So no anal sex again. So the, the hard and fast rules are two: man ejaculates inside the woman's vagina and nowhere else. And everything that you do in the bedroom is motivated by love, not use. That sounds a little like free for all um, but it's actually not um, because love means that you will the good of the other. And in that context, love means that you don't want to do anything to lead your spouse into sin, right? So let's talk about sex acts that are illicit, okay? And it's actually a very short list. <laughs> um, Which surprises anal- people. <laughs> I know. Anal sex? No. Masturbation, no. Mutual masturbation, no. Um, <clears throat> and mutual masturbation, we're gonna have to kind of break down a little bit, but um, oral stimulation for men is perfectly fine. You want to be very careful with that, especially in your very early sexual experiences, because if a man hasn't had sex for a very long time, it's not gonna take very much for him to ejaculate. So just be very careful with that and communicate about like kind of where he is. If that is something that you would like to try. Um, I think that's it. Did I miss one? I don't think so. No, that's it. It's a, it's a short list. It's a I, short I think that's list. everything. People are like, whoa, that's literally it. 
Um, but if you're going to have sex, like if you're going to start down that road and like, you can't, like a woman can't orgasm and a man not orgasm, right? If somebody's orgasming, you at least need to like try to get the other one to orgasm. Okay. Like (laughs) this is not, you know, and what I mean by that is like for a woman, like, you know, sometimes a woman doesn't orgasm for myriad different reasons. Um, but even men, like sometimes I know like men can sometimes have situations where like they try to orgasm and like, let's say for example, you get interrupted, you know, like you're midway through and like FedEx is at the front door or you get a phone call or like you're a few years into your marriage and you've got like a kid and you started things up and you had every intention of finishing, but like something outside of your control happened to put a stop to it that's fine. You know, like that's just life. Um, just come back and finish later. Um, (laughs) but if if you start having sex with the intention of not like when we say like the complete act of sex, the, the full context of sex, we're talking about an act that is both unitive and procreative, right? So whenever we're talking about, we're talking about that. So anything that you do is, it has to be both unitive and procreative. Now, women, like our orgasm is not tied to procreation, whereas the man's is. So women can orgasm before penetration, during penetration, after penetration. That's all fine. It's within that full context of sex, right? You're not like taking a break midway and like, all right, you got off. Now I got to go run some errands and we'll come back and finish this up later. Right? Like that's not the full context of sex anymore. Um, Women, I actually know like they can orgasm multiple times in one context of sex. That's fine. Um, Like, especially if a woman orgasms before penetration and then she can orgasm again during penetration like good for you girl um (laughs) perhaps to you um so anyway like I you know I know that there's like kind of those specific questions about that but that's literally the short list of what is absolutely off limits women can have oral sex to the point of orgasm again within the full context um so like let's say like there are certain circumstances again like going back to the physiology of the vagina like the vagina widens and lengthens with sufficient arousal. If penetration is not comfortable, it may actually be beneficial for a a husband to help his wife achieve orgasm before penetration because orgasm will really open things up and also produce a lot of extra arousal fluid. um, And that would actually make penetration more comfortable. Um, So that that would be perfectly fine. Um, So that's just an example of you know, anyway. No, super helpful because I think like this is, this is the space where I think a lot of um, conversations or talks or podcasts cut off. They're like, and that's all folks. We will not be getting into the specifics of how this works. So I think like, like this is, this is helpful for individuals. And I think if there are more specific questions around this, um, I mean, I really only know of Dr. Greg's book, Holy Sex, that really could get into positions aside from like, you know, if you want, like not now as an engagement, but like being newly married, you could Google different positions and kind of vet to see, I mean, like, okay, David and I have done that and just kind of seeing, okay, like what website is it? You know, if it's like 
health line or something, you know, it's like, okay, like that should probably be fine. You know, if there's anything where it's like, wow, this is too graphic. I'm going back. Like we just go back, you know, but it's, it can be helpful to just kind of get a sense for like, oh, okay. Like what could we do? And there's nothing wrong in doing that in some ways, maybe doing it together could be helpful because you're kind of like, you can be accountability partners together. But I think Dr. Greg's book is nice because there, there aren't visuals, but he's detailed. Like you understand what he's talking about. But I think that's where you have to use discretion to figure out like what you're, what you're okay with, what you're comfortable with together and and figuring that out. And you have time. That's the beauty of it all. Like you get to learn this together. There's no rush. Yeah. There's no rush. You are married for life. You do not have to figure this out on day one. And if, if that is your expectation and that is your hope and that is, you know, the pressure that's been put on you, reject all of it. You're not doing yourself any favors. Um, your early sexual experiences are not going to be particularly great. Um, just like logistically, you're figuring things out. Again, your body is like your physiology is learning these things. And it's never done them before. Like your vagina has never widened and lengthened to the length that it needs to because you've never like had that kind of physical stimulation before to like get it to that point. This is all new. You're learning all of this. So like think about it as like, you know, a little kid when you were walking or, you know, like we were made to walk. We're bipedialites. We were made to walk. And yet we're born unable to walk. We have to learn to walk. Like our, our bodies are made to have sex. Like that's, that's a natural thing that we can do. And yet it's still a skill that we have to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. I love how you are describing that. I think it just helps to take the pressure off, you know, and just to recognize like, oh, I have to learn this. It's okay that I have to learn this. Yes. If you were a whiz at it, that wouldn't make any sense. Like there's the learning curve well, of I mean, and so many different things before marriage, but also, well, yeah, I mean, in that sense, but if you've never had sex before and then suddenly you're married and then magically, you're just like so amazing at sex. Like that doesn't make any sense. You've never done it before. You're, you're learning together. Even if you did have sex before marriage with other people. And I know some people ask questions like, how do I deal with, um, you know, if my fiance was sexually active prior to marriage, let me tell you something. If your if your fiance was sexually active prior to marriage and your engagement, you have been chased. That man has some serious, serious, like insane willpower. Um, it is really difficult to abstain from sex when you know how good sex is. So props to your fiance. You are marrying quite a man. Um, but also even if he has, even if you have had sex prior to marriage and you haven't had sex with each other, you're still at the same starting place for learning sex because what makes sex great is not the logistics. It's not putting the right parts in the right hole and rubbing the right parts until, you know, you reach your high. It's about the person great sex is about learning a person. And I know like it's, it's impossible to really fully understand that until you start doing it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you know logistically how to have sex. What makes sex awesome and what, what you really have to learn is the person you married. Yes. Oof, Emily. 
Mm. You're just tying this up with a bow. It's great. I love it. And hopefully this is helpful. I mean, we've been chatting for like an hour and a half here, if not more. <laughs> I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, but, holy. Uh, yeah. I'm like, whoa. Okay. Wow. All right. Here we go. <laughs> but I mean, really there's so much that can be said on this topic and hopefully this is helpful that, you know, we're, you know, you did such a great job building the foundation and then just like guiding us along and figuring out, okay, let's, okay, let's drill down drill down some more. And it really helps seriously to have the questions that came through that were so specific. And so it's just so good to see individuals asking these questions. Like I know I had them and I, I wish I had asked more and had, had been willing to be vulnerable enough to have these conversations with David when we were engaged and saying like, Hey, let's talk a little bit more about expectations and things like that. That was something that I really thought I didn't need to I don't know if I didn't need to share or I just felt like, oh, maybe I shouldn't talk about it. And you, and it's something that, you know, we, we learn in the process of being newly married and it's okay to be in these spaces of, of learning, you know, yes. it's okay. It's okay to let yourself learn and to realize you don't have to be good at it. I think we just, sometimes we have this wiring through, you know, school or through different experiences. I think primarily of school where it's like, you almost need to know what's being taught when you're really, you know, you're supposed to be there to learn, you, you know, you shouldn't know what the professor's talking about, especially in college. Like I remember feeling that way where it was like, I feel like I'm coming in and I'm supposed to know all this, but I, why am I, then why am I paying for this class? You know, right. same, same way. Right. Um, I think we just have to be mindful of that. Like, you know, this isn't about learning about how it all goes. It's, it's learning. It's being willing to be a student of love. It's willing, you know, go, go to the school of love. Let's all enter into the school of love and be willing to be students together. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a level of vulnerability that, that is terrifying and that's okay. Like that's, that is why, that is why we take vows because you are entering into a space that is, that is, as my dad once told me, (laughs) he said, Emily, being married is about being naked with each other and I mean you know obviously we're talking about sex but also talking about that total vulnerability right and and that is terrifying you know after the original sin what was the first thing Adam and Eve did they hid they covered themselves you know that that we're we're because of like our fallen nature it's not natural for us to want to be vulnerable but that's why marriage is so radical is because it's calling mm-hmm. us to that very that very deep very radical vulnerability but that kind of vulnerability let me tell you something when you when you step into that and you really get into it it is mind blowing it's awesome it is the most loved the most seen the most fulfilled you will ever be because that, that is what we're going to experience in heaven when we're standing before God himself. Right. And that's what marriage mirrors is, is standing in front of a person who sees us for precisely who we are and says, I'm not going anywhere, you know, and that's what your marriage vows are doing. Your marriage vows are saying that even when you want to run, even when you want to shoot this person, even when you want to plan the, even when you want to plan the perfect murder, you don't, you stay put and you, you continue to love this person, even when you want to leave. And yeah, it's, it's terrifying, but it's amazing. 
just love that plan the perfect murder but you don't <laughs> sorry I'm just which, by the way, you plan the perfect murder. The first step of planning the perfect murder is do not Google how to plan the perfect murder. Because <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and on that note, folks. <laughs> I have not thought about this at all. <laughs> oh, but seriously, thank you so much, Emily, for being on and just just being so articulate. You're so good at this. And I really want to encourage individuals. Emily has launched a... a coaching on her, uh, site, total wine. She is offering this to individuals. It is an amazing opportunity. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I still have more questions, or I still, I like, I still need to work through some things, or I just, I just need to talk to someone. Um, your girl, Emily is here for you. So go sign up for a session and sit with her. If you're, if you're trying to even just discern, like, I don't know if I need therapies. I think I just have more questions. Like, I don't know. Or you're in that space. Um, you know, where you just, you need to figure it out and it's not specific. It doesn't have to be specific to like NFP. It can be, I mean, you can pick whatever topic you want, but especially with this sign up, do the coaching session with her and, and have more of those specific questions answered. We, we debated thinking like, should we do a live for more questions? What should we do? Maybe we will eventually like this summer, but, um, honestly coaching is the best way to go because you're going to get the one-on-one support and help you need it. And if you've listened to this woman and you've stayed with us this whole time, which I'm guessing you have, because these are the most popular episodes <laughs> right now for good reason. Um, you know, she knows what she's talking about. So I highly recommend endorse subscribe to the Emily Frazee coaching experience. <laughs> thanks fan girl. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> off my soapbox. Now. Um, thanks everybody for listening, for staying with us, for sending such great questions. Emily, thank you for taking the time to be on doing the second episode, having it come out during season one and just being game to, to jump in and, and talk about these things and just being so honest and beautiful in your vulnerability. I'm just so grateful for you and for the space that you're creating. And I, I wish man, I wish I had known you and, and talked to you and had coaching sessions with you when I was engaged because seriously, I would have signed up. But hey, we, we met now and now we can like pay the best. We can pay exactly, it. exactly. It's just such a gift to know you. So thank you. Thanks, Bridget. I loved, I loved being back. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you'd like to learn more about fertility awareness, visit www.managingyourfertility.com for more information, resources, guides, and so much more.